Broadway Hour. I'm Stuart Klein, your host for the Broadway Hour. Stay tuned for what I hope will be an invigorating hour all about the theater. Here on 93 AM WTAC, every Monday night from 6 to 7, brought to you by Sheraton New York Hotel and Towers and Chemical Bank. Hello and welcome to the Broadway Hour. I'm Stuart Klein, your host for the next hour of Broadway news, Broadway interviews, Broadway songs, and Broadway gossip, and much ado about Off-Broadway, too. We're coming to you from the Sheraton New York Hotel and Towers at 53rd Street overlooking scenic 7th Avenue, where we have our live taping in the Lobby Court Lounge. You're invited to join us every Thursday afternoon for the taping between 4.30 and 6. We have a rather distinguished audience today, and we have some very distinguished guests. Anne Jackson and Eli Wallach. Tony winner Debbie Shapiro will be singing live, and Daily News backstage reporter Michael Riedel, who give us some dish. So stay tuned for the talk of Broadway, much Broadway music, and our trivia contest with a chance for you to win some terrific prizes. And now a word from our sponsors, Sheraton New York Hotel and Towers and Chemical Bank. We're back, and our first two guests comprise one of the most talented, delightful, and durable husband and wife acting teams in the history of the American theater. They've been married for almost 50 years, and they've acted together that long in such plays as The Tiger and the Typist, Love, The Waltz of the Toreadors, The Diary of Anne Frank, and many more. And they're together again in In Persons, opening Thursday at the Kaufman Theater, a new play celebrating their love of the theater and each other. Ladies and gentlemen, Anne Jackson and Eli Wallach. And after that introduction, we're at a loss for words, so Stuart will have to sing. Thank you very much. That concludes our program. <laughs> Eli and Ann, I am absolutely delighted to welcome you to the Broadway Hour. Don't think we've forgotten some of the roastings we got from you <laughs> in the past. Me? I don't Roast think you? were ever roasted by Stuart, Eli. Well, I that was <laughs> that was his brother. Oh, all right. <laughs> okay. Before we get the in-persons, let's uh, get some uh, biography of the last 50 years. <laughs> uh, I'd like to ask each of you where you're from and how you became an actor. Eli? I was from Red Hook, Little Italy, Brooklyn. And I became an actor to save my life. <laughs> <laughs> I always wanted to act. Whenever, when I was a kid... My bed was the Sahara Desert. I was in the Foreign Legion. I was always crawling across my bed, bleeding, and my mother would come in and say, eat, and I'd say, look, Ma. She'd say, oh, come on, stop that. So I decided to act and get paid for the same thing. What happened in Red Hook, Little Italy, Brooklyn, when you announced that you wanted to be an actor? They didn't believe it. They didn't believe it. You know who lived across the street? Tony Anastasia and Al Albert Anastasia. You're kidding. No, no. Murder Incorporated. You could have been a gangster. I've been, I've been, darling. <laughs> and? 
Where are you from? I was born uh, in Millvale in Pennsylvania, outside of Pittsburgh. But my father moved us to New York when we were young, my two sisters and myself. And actually, it was my older sister and my middle sister, both really very gifted women and, and actresses that, that set out to, to be actors. And uh, I guess I did it in self-defense or just because I was a copycat. I imitated everybody. And That's true. Who did you imitate? Oh, I imitated Catherine Hepburn. I imitated, I mean, whoever, uh, my aunt, my aunt Maggie, my aunt Nellie, no, men. Look, Stuart, a couple of years ago, we were in China sitting with the Comedians Institute, and I said to them, do you, do you ever see American movies? And one of them said, oh, yeah, Buster Keaton, uh, San Francisco. And Ann said, okay, I'll do my imitation of Jeanette McDonald, Jack Holt, and Clark Gable in the bar from San Francisco. They were stunned. Wait a minute. You do an imitation? Of well, not really that, Stuart. Wait, now, uh, All right, you know, I, I was a kid. I was, uh, I'd go to the movies, and I lived in the movies. And like Eli, I was always fantasizing things. And so I would do whole movies for the kids on the block. I would say, want to see San Francisco? And they'd pay a couple of cents, and I would do the whole film. How did the two of you meet? That's in the show In Persons. Okay. We met doing a one-act play. I had just come out of the army. I'd been away five years in the war. And I just got out, and I met this young lady, and we were doing a play called This Property is Condemned by Tennessee Williams for Equity Library Theater. 103rd Street, huh? No, this was... Oh, that was Hudson before they moved. Okay. Stewart, we met in an apartment building on 54th Street and 7th Avenue, just one block away from here. And I passed it when I was coming to you today, and I got such nostalgia. That was where we met it. Terry Hayden, who was a, a wonderful director and actress and founder of Equity Library Theater. Now, when the two of you met in this play, was it love at first sight? Second sight. Second. <laughs> you better explain that. Well... I, uh, I, I <laughs> what are you going to say? <laughs> well, I thought that it was first sight for you. I thought that you saw me in the world spun. Oh, no, that's only in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> no, I I saw Eli, and I thought, and I had been reading with uh, juveniles who all knew how to crack their voices. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. You remember those days, and. Um, it, uh, when I uh, Eli came, he was actually sent by another actress to team up with Terry Hayden. I don't think he was there to audition for the play, but she decided that she wanted him in the play. And I said, "Well, don't you think he's a little old for the party?" I mean, he looked very grown up to me. He was in uniform. I was I was, uh, was a captain with all captains and yes. all the bars and all that stuff. So that impressed her. Yes, I was fresh out of high school. Who knew from these uh, soldiers? But there was fate involved. She went to a high school where my brother was, was hers. Sam Wallach yeah. was the most popular teacher yeah. in my high school. Yeah. When the kids got Eli's brother for 
economics or history, they would scream. Now, wait a delight. minute. Was this back in Pennsylvania? Uh, no, no. no I moved. I told you that I moved to Pennsylvania. Okay, okay. I mean, I moved remember. to Honey, New York. Be kind. Oh, he doesn't he remember. It's difficult Stop getting that. old. Does, no, Stuart. <laughs> it's us, darling. We didn't make Listen, it clear. Stuart, you know who her, her first cousin is? No. Or was? Art Rooney, who owned the Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah. So whenever we go to see a game, they flash her name on the screen. It says, a daughter of Pittsburgh. I'm big in Pittsburgh because he was my relative. (laughs) Now, when did this initial attraction between you two become serious? While we were doing the play, she had a bout of guests. I had, I, yes, I, I, I ate up, duck and ate I got duck. sick. Wound up in St. Vincent's Hospital and I brought her daisies. <laughs> daffodils, sweetheart. Daffodil. brought me daffodils. I remember it well. Yellow daffodils. And he drew a picture of my stomach. He was in the medical corps in the army. I thought, uh, he's not an actor, he's really a doctor. I thought, oh, what a wonderful thing. I showed her what the ascending <laughs> colon was and the descending. <laughs> <laughs> now the two of you, uh, then went on to act together, and uh, on your own, Eli, uh, I guess your first big, big triumph was as Manja Cavallo, Manja Cavallo in The Rose Tattoo. Yes, You played as Sicilian yep. in the Tennessee Williams play. Yes, I loved it. Did that uh, Sicilian role lead to your uh, widespread... Uh, display of Italian spaghetti westerns? No, I don't discriminate. I play Mexicans and uh, Italians, Jews, anyone that comes along. I, I'm an ethical, I'm an ethnic minority, ethnic minority. <laughs> I love, I just finished playing a priest in Rome in a movie called Honey Sweet Love and I was blessing everybody, even people who came for weddings. I was done up with a collar and the robe and the black hat and a rosary. I blessed everybody. As a matter of fact, uh, you played, forgive me, a Mongol in the movie Genghis Khan. I certainly did. Genghis Khan. How dare you play a Mongol? Oh, well, (laughs) I'll tell you what happened. Anne and I were in a play in London at the time, and we were going to close. And we had a house rented, a cook, a car, the three children there. In school. In school. school. And I figured I had to make some money quickly. So they said, okay, we'll give you a job. I found a job in Yugoslavia, in Belgrade, to do this, this guy. And I said, they said, how much time have you got? I said, I don't know. They said, can you look up the emperor of China? I said, how many weeks is that? They said, seven. I said, I can't. They said, what about the Shah of Persia? I said, okay. <laughs> and that, that, that was for a week. So I said, you, you know, in a movie script, it says sometimes scene 88 to 90 omitted. I said, I can't find the Shah in the script. They said, he's omitted. So, so you have to write, write it. So I wrote the scene. The Shah is making a deal to capture Genghis Khan. He says to the leader of the army, I'll make a deal with you. You capture Genghis Khan, I'll give you one of my daughters. And I looked at his face and I said, all right, two. we will get to in persons and we'll be back with ann jackson and eli wallach after this break for all the latest information on broadway and off-broadway shows call the broadway line 212-563-bway this user-friendly interactive telephone service puts broadway at your fingertips it provides callers with touch-tone phones with brief show descriptions, performance schedules, 
theater locations, and the ability to purchase tickets. The Broadway line is a local call in the New York area, so call it now, 212-563-BWAY. If you just tuned in, this is the Broadway Hour here on 93 AM WPAT. I'm Stuart Klein, and we're back with Ann Jackson and Eli Wallach, who are opening next week in In Persons. Tell us about In Persons. Okay. Okay, Stuart. Lay it on. When we were young actors, younger actors, uh, we saw Dame Sybil Thorndike, who was a very prestigious British actress, in a show with her husband down at the Theatre de Lise, and it was a Monday matinee series, and she was reading poetry and doing scenes, and it was just a delightful... Juliet. Delightful afternoon in the theatre. I mean, she just... She and her husband just had us transfixed. And so we went backstage and met her, and she said, uh, oh, she said, it's the only thing for actors to do. You must get yourself a program, and you must do that, because you're not always going to get a job, you know. Producers are not going to hand it to you on a platter. And that's how it all started. So we then uh, started collecting pieces to do together. And as the years went by and we got older, and we'd do it, you know, for colleges or for benefits for people, and... and uh, it was successful. We found that th- that they liked what we did. Eli, what are some of the pieces you do from your well, we repertoire? Do a, a, for example, a debate between Dorothy Parker <clears throat> and a man named Samuel Hoffenstein. Okay. And uh, we do scenes from the play Love, Waltz of the Toreadors, Major Barbara, and Harlequinade. But the thing that we really fell into good hands... Martin Charnin, the famous Martin Charnin, who did, yes, a wonderful director, Annie, Arf, Arf, Arf. (laughs) but he he kind of got us to discipline the thing, you know, we we did it, to shape it, and and to put it to all kinds of wonderful theatrical uh, devices, if you will. Now, you mentioned Sybil Thorndike and her husband. Uh, One of the great acting teams, of course, was the Luntz. Alfred Lunt, Lynn Fontaine, and Hume Cronin they, and Jessica Tandy. Hume oh, Cronin yes. and Jessica Tandy. But the Lunts in particular uh, were noted for their criticism of each other. Over the years, they always gave oh, each gosh. other little digs. Uh, <gasps> does that ever happen to the Wallachs? Oh, my word. Oh, that makes me you. feel terrible, Eli. No, I tell you. <laughs> we, we were doing a play with Zero Mostel called Rhinoceros. Right. And during rehearsal, Anne kept doing something, and I kept saying, you're not going to do that. Are you really going to do that? She said, mind your own business. I'll do what I want to do. And, and the director encouraged it, Joseph Anthony. Well, every critic picked out that specific thing and ra- praised it to the sky. From then on, I was very careful about it. How I, what I well, it was such a long time ago. You've taken, you've taken to, to, to forgetting from then on. <laughs> yes, darling. You want to have it out right now? No, here? no, sweetheart. No, 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 um, no. Well, that reminds me. Here yes. you are having a tiny little discussion. Now, married couples have been known to have uh, spats in yes. the course of their lives. Yes. Uh, what happens when you two have a marital dispute? Okay. 
that might get a little inflamed. Well, and then you have to go on stage at yeah. night oh. and uh, make love to each other. Here's, oh. wait, here's one. Recently, we had a tremendous fight. And I got so mad, I usually punched the door in. But I went into the bedroom and slammed the door, and I couldn't get out. <laughs> <laughs> it stuck, and I had to go to the phone and call the super and say, please send somebody up to get Mr. Wallach out of the bedroom. <laughs> now, 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 the making up after that is a terrifically tactful... We ought to be ambassadors. I mean, Well, we when they opened it. the door for him, Stuart, I ran to the kitchen because by this time I started laughing so hard I couldn't say, and I thought, he'll kill me if he sees me laughing. Now, another, impossible imped another possible impediment to a marriage is the fact that, Eli, for years and years, uh, you've been running off to do these movies uh, all over the world. You went out to do a movie with the young and gorgeous Marilyn Monroe out in the West. I assume, uh, Anne, you stayed home taking care of the kids. Uh, how does this uh, work out as a possible strain to a marriage, your absences and uh, playing together with people like Marilyn Monroe? I take the fifth, Anne and Lance. <laughs> what do you mean you take the fifth? No, what does that mean? Either? No, no, darling. Tell them about what happened when you were in well, San Francisco. Well, I was... Uh, when... I was in a play called Oh Men, Oh Women. Eli and I had come back from England, and I had gone and given up a hit play to be with him in England while he did uh, the play uh, Tea House of the August Moon. And when we came back, I was pregnant with my young daughter, Roberta. And uh, they called and said, would I please go to California to do the part that I had left? The hit, uh, mm -hmm. the hit play I had left, Oh Men, Oh Women, with Gig Young and, and uh, Larry Blyden. I said, well, I can't, I'm pregnant. And they said, it's fine. It's only for about four weeks, and you can be pregnant in this. You're married to Gig Young, so it's fine. So I went to do it. While I was there, uh, on matinee days, Gig and Larry Blyden were wonderful friends to me, and they would cook for me and, you know, and, and, and w invite Francia Tone, and it was really very nice. And so uh, Eli called while I was uh, having dinner with them. And Eli had, there was an article in the paper that said that Eli was escorting Marilyn Monroe about. He mm -hmm. was the beard for <laughs> Arthur Miller. This is before she married Arthur. So the uh, gig and uh, Larry Blyden were teasing me about it. They said, ask him about Marilyn. Ask him what he's doing with Marilyn. So when he got on the phone, I said, Eli, what is this I read about you and Marilyn Monroe? And he said, I like her like a sister. When I reported this to Gig and Larry, they rolled on the floor of the hotel room, and Gig said, only Eli could say a line like that. And Larry said, and only Annie would believe him. Eli, is that accurate? You very accurate, like very accurate. <laughs> Tell us about Marilyn. You worked with her on The Misfits with Clark Gable. Yeah. What was she like? Well, it, it, making the movie was not a happy experience <clears throat> because her marriage was dissolving as we were filming. Uh -huh. And so it was difficult. Every this was the marriage to Joe DiMaggio. Right? No, the no, marriage to, to Arthur, Arthur Miller. Miller. Okay. And he had written this script, right. and every male in the movie talked about what a glorious woman she was, and it made her more and more sick. She, she couldn't get up to, this, to the camera. Uh -huh. So it was not, not easy. She was but delightful, though. But, Stuart, I would like to tell you this. 
and I've never told this to anybody. I'm telling you because you... On the air? Yes, I'm going to tell it on the air. I can't wait. The advantage that an actor has is getting out your steam on the stage. There's no question that I was jealous of Marilyn Monroe, because before he went off with her, he would, uh, you know, to do the film, we would go out of an evening, and he, he loves to dance, and he loves to show off and dance, and he would dance with Marilyn, and dance very close with Marilyn, and I would be very jealous. And then his picture went up in Downey's with Marilyn Monroe having come backstage. He and Marilyn's picture, a big picture, so... Downey, when I was doing Major Barbara, put a huge picture of me by myself across from Eli and Marilyn, and it stuck in my craw. So I did, I did Cleopatra at the actor's studio, and Marilyn was coming to the studio at the time, and I played Cleopatra, who is insanely jealous. She is so jealous that she beats up a messenger who tells her that... Uh, her Anthony has married Fulvia, you know, the, the blonde Ful Fulvia. I just substituted Marilyn Monroe, and I was so good in that scene. I can tell you that don't, don't give any way. Yes, any, I am giving away secrets. No, no, no more acting And secrets, after it was over, <laughs> Marilyn was so sweet to me that I forgave her everything she didn't do. So, Eli, you danced very close to Marilyn Monroe, and you liked her like a sister. I did. <laughs> I did. Okay. I was in bed with. What's her name, honey? Oh, uh, well, I'll tell. I was. Uh, Jean Moreau. Jean Moreau. Okay. I, I had done. Let me just set it up for you. I, had, I used to do a lot of interviews with Johnny Carson and with Merv Griffith, especially. Griffin. Merv Griffin. Merv used to love to tease me about Eli. He'd say, who's he playing with now, Annie? Uh -huh. Who's he off with? And he, he was the one who, who was really, like Iago, poisoning my mind against my <laughs> husband. So Eli was doing a film with Jean Moreau. Now he'll tell you what he so, did so in self-defense. She's a widow, and they're bombarding this place, and I'm a sergeant in the movie, and she's cowering in a corner, and I pull the blanket back, and she gets in bed with me. You're in bed with Jean with Moreau. Jean Moreau. Yes. And uh, our, feet, our feet touched under the blanket, and I straightened up, and she said, Oh, Eli, I did a movie called uh, Les Amants, The Lovers. I was in bed with my leading man for three days, so relax. <laughs> so I relaxed. <laughs> but then she woke up in the morning and saw my arm and thought it was her husband, and I put a tattoo on my arm, and I put Anne's name in the middle of it. <laughs> You're true blue. But the next morning was supposed to be the morning after. Oh, and now you know you it was, Eli. We are having a dispute between <laughs> the Wallachs here on the Broadway Hour. Somehow, uh, over all of these years, uh, your marriage has lasted for almost 50 years. You have a couple Don't of... Don't say that. It's, you, you make it sound like a half a century. That's, That's a long true. time. I've, 46 I met, years. I met a married couple who were celebrating their golden anniversary last year. Two gray-haired, uh, active, wonderful people. And I asked the woman, what was the secret of being married for 50 years? And she said, I learned long ago that it's better to be right, it, I'm sorry, it's better to be happy than right. <laughs> All right, that bombed out. <laughs> no, 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 it's so lovely, it's so lovely that, that we passed it through. I'm going to remember that.
I think no, I'll use it. But for example, we do scenes from plays that have tremendous fights in them. Uh -huh. We save on psychiatrists and marriage counselors because I end up choking her in one scene in this play. And, don't tell, Eli. I don't, don't know, tell. tell no. Any more? No more. Yes, Absolutely. we were. Uh, 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 one of the actors in the play came backstage and said his mother and father had been to see the play that night. It was the Waltz of the Toreadors, and he, uh, his mother, heard the woman coming up the aisle saying to the husband, "Do you think he really choked her to death?" And the husband said, "I hope so." <laughs> <laughs> Anne and Eli, uh, Anne, how have you managed to? Uh, have a full career as an actress, a full career as a wife, and as a mother. You've got grown children, right? Yes. How did you do that? I don't know, and, <laughs> and, and I'll tell you this, that, that uh, when I'm asked the question, it suddenly, I, I get flooded with emotion because I say, I don't know how I did it, and I would never do it again. <laughs> how old are your kids now? Older than I am. Okay. One is one is forty one, another is thirty was just thirty seven, and one is thirty five. And a couple of them are uh, in the profession, no? Yes. Yes. The two our, girls are actresses. Our son is a is a very fine animator, and both our daughters are lovely actresses. And we have three redheaded grandsons. Eli, how did you get to be the voice over voice? Of Toyota trucks. Because something in my voice sounds like the gears on a truck. <laughs> no, it doesn't, Eli. You've got a wonderful voice. Okay, last word about in-persons. Uh, what should people expect when they go to see it? A, a fun evening in the theater. Yes, to have a good time. It's all in good fun. We, we, we caper, don't we, Yes, Eli? and the language is exalting. Exalting like language, and we caper, and then Eli uses some bad language, but he's doing, he's imitating somebody. But it's in good taste. Who are you imitating? My daughter. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, for one, cannot wait to see in-persons at the Kaufman Theater opening in a couple of days. September 30th, September, on Thursday. That's Thursday. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been an absolute treat for me. I hope you've enjoyed it to talk to two of the great people of the theater. As a matter of fact, this young man in front of me is a member of the Theater Hall of Fame. Ladies and gentlemen, Eli Wallach and Ann Jackson. Thank you both. I hope you'll come back and see us again soon. We're going right to the Broadway Hour update, brought to you by Tatinger Champagne, the official champagne of the Broadway Hour. Tom Bosley is returning to Broadway, the Tony winner of Fiorello, after years of making movies and such TV series as Happy Days, is coming back to the main stem as the father in the Disney musical Beauty and the Beast. It's due to open here in the spring. Want to see Carol Burnett back on stage? Get thee to California. Carol, starting Thursday, plays Joanne in Company, a production of the Long Beach Civic Light Opera. Ms. Burnett will be on the boards there for three weeks. The Madness of George III, starring Olivier winner Nigel Hawthorne as his madness, and Hawthorne received incredible reviews at Alex Cohn's Stanford Center of the Arts, play starts performances tomorrow night at the Brooklyn Academy of Music. Opening tonight at the Westbest Theater on Bank Street is Gams on the Lamb, described as an outrageous all-female comedy trio 
The girls, among other things, quote, start a new dance craze, explore out-of-body experiences, and serve free pizzas to the audience. Your move. Biblomania, Roger Rosenblatt's one-man contemplation of books, opens Sunday at the American Place Theater. Lainey Kazan, the ultimate Jewish mother in my favorite year, sings for her supper starting tomorrow night at Rainbow and Stars. And some other musical offerings of note, the legendary jazz man Lionel Hampton opens tomorrow at the Blue Note, and Paul Simon kicks off 21 concerts Friday at the Paramount at Madison Square Garden. The Museum of Radio and Television is screening a series called From Kern to Sondheim, the American Musical Theater, the TV broadcasts of classic musicals include Our Town, starring Frank Sinatra, Eva Marie Saint, and as the young lad in love, Paul Newman. Oh yes, starting performances Thursday at the Nada Theater on Ludlow Street is Gary Goldberg's Hamster. Quote, the first production of Hamlet in history to cast animals in human roles. Horatio is played by a dog. And you ain't seen nothing yet. Remember Elliot and Amanda in Noel Coward's Private Lives? Well, it's now Elliot and Andrew. Matter of fact, at the Theater Project in Columbus, Ohio, the two couples of the comedy are all played by men. In the immortal words of the late Toot Shore, if you leave New York, you ain't going nowhere. We'll be back with Debbie Shapiro-Gravitt. I'll say that again, Debbie Shapiro-Gravitt, after this break. Once I was a schlepper, now I miss no schlepper with my revolution intent. You gotta have a gimmick if you wanna have a the music, of course, is from Gypsy, and that cut is from Jerome Robbins Broadway, for which our next guest won the Tony Award. She's a Broadway belter of the first order who knocked me out the first time I saw her in their playing our song, her Broadway debut, and she opens her new cabaret act at Steve McGraw's Wednesday night. Ladies and gentlemen, at the piano, accompanied by Pam Drews, here's Debbie Shapiro-Gravitt. Playing on his slide trombone In a certain monotone He was known as Mr. Monotony Any quiet interlude That would bring a change of tune didn't go with Mr. Monotony. Sometimes he would change the key, but the same dull melody would emerge from Mr. Monotony. Folks for miles would run away Only one preferred to stay She would come around and say Have you got any monotony today? They were married 
but we find that she quickly changed her mind. She grew tired of Mr. Monotony. Round the neighbors it was known While he played on his trombone Someone played with me Sills monotony From another village came a snappy clarinetta She heard him play and strange to say she liked him better Twas the end of me there's a moral to my song Trombone players don't last long And it's right to do them wrong When they've only got monotony to play And it's not any monotony that's gay Don't stay Just say I don't want any monotony today. Yeah. <laughs> Debbie Shapiro Gravit singing while waiters walk by with trays of food and the mix master runs at the bar. We'll be back to talk with Debbie after this break. We're back on 93 AM WPAT. This is the Broadway Hour. I'm Stuart Klein, and we're with Debbie Shapiro Gravit, who just Very knocked good. us out with that. I said it right. You did. I'm so proud of you. Well, you know... Uh, it's difficult for me because uh, you made your debut, a lustrous one, as Debbie Shapiro. Everybody knows you as Debbie Shapiro. And as a newsman, uh, I'm always concerned. If I say Debbie Shapiro Gravit, is that going to dilute the uh, renown that we know you oh, by? Oh, the renown. Oh, I'm, God. Well, uh, really, does that present any problem to you? Well, it kind of hasn't yet. I just, I, I was so, you know, this is something that I wanted to do. I tried to do when I was, when I first started, and I just, it was, all, it was always suggested to me, you know, oh, you don't want to have an ethnic name now, do you? Although nobody knows what it is half the time. They don't know if it's Irish. What is o Shapiro. What is Gravit? It's a nice <laughs> Polish-Jewish, okay. Jewish-Polish something. Okay. But, oh, what's Gravit? Yeah. Oh, it's Gravit. I thought okay. you were about Shapiro. <laughs> Shapiro, I know. That's kind of clear, isn't it? <laughs> Gravit. Gravit's French. Now I am very French. And who is Gravit? Gravit is Bo. Bo oh. Gravit. We've only been married seven years. We have, you know... Well, 47 to go. Somehow, 43. Uh, that news of your marriage has just filtered been down no yeah no we've been married god it was seven years oh my god just a few days ago well but you only I got just, 43 to go to catch up right. with the wallachs aren't they amazing uh, they are amazing they were so wonderful and delightful and i i want to go see their show now me too debbie uh that song you just sang mr monotony uh 
is uh, has a story of its own. That's an it old Irving Berlin song. Yes. Tell cut, us about it. Well, it was cut from two shows. It was cut from Call Me Madam and from Miss Liberty. And the word on in Miss Liberty was that Ethel Merman, of course, was starring in it. And a girl was singing it, and Miss Merman wasn't all too happy about it. And all of a sudden, it disappeared from the show. That's the word I got on that. Call Me Madam, I don't think it was right in that show. And then it also was cut from Easter Parade, the movie, hmm. um, sung by Judy Garland. In fact, I have it in some archives somewhere, her singing Mr. Monotony. So when you sang it in uh, Jerome Robbins' Broadway, you were introducing the yeah, song. Yeah, it, it literally made its Broadway debut along with my singing of it. Miss Merman uh, had her ways. Yes, and she probably would have had him again if I were around. You know, Ethel... Uh, was a fan of mine, I'm delighted to say. She was a great uh, patron of opening night. She was always mm. at the opening night of theaters. And so many times at intermission, she would sidle up to me and whisper. And I imagine Ethel oh, Merman <laughs> whispering. And she'd say, Stow it. This is crap, right? <laughs> <laughs> Debbie, tell us uh, about your upcoming uh, engagement gig at My Steve gig. McGraw's on West um, 72nd Street. I'm very excited about it. It's a, it's Forever Plaid is playing there right now, so it's 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 kind of a theater slash cabaret, which really is perfect for me because I, I'm a Broadway baby, and I mean I have been doing cabaret over the years to supplement the dearth of theater roles. Right. And um, so it's really it's lovely. It's a great place. I'm there three times a week: Wednesday, Thursday, Fridays, at 10:30 after the theater. Come down. And see me. I will be delighted. Yeah, I, and I, I suspect that in your act you'll be doing uh, some stuff that you don't usually do on the Broadway yeah, stage. I am. True? Exactly. Yeah, For I instance. do a little more romantic, sexy kind of stuff. You have uh, one of those uh, romantic, sexy numbers for uh, us now? No, I don't, but I'll do one anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we will get Debbie back over to the piano at the microphone, and we will hear one more selection from the great Broadway belter who will not do a romantic, sexy song now, Debbie Shapiro-Gravitt. Debbie is yours. This is from Funny Girl. I add two and two, the most simple addition, then swear that the figures are lying. I'm a much better comic than mathematician. Cause I'm better on stage than at intermission And as far as the man is concerned If I've been burned I haven't learned I know he's around when the sky and the ground started ringing I know that he's near by the thunder I hear in advance His words and his words alone are the words that could start my heart singing and his is the only music that makes me dance 
he'll sleep and he'll rise in the light of two eyes that adore him. Boy, him it might, but he won't leave my sight for a glance in every way every day I need less of myself I need more him more him cause his is the only music that makes me Debbie Shapiro, Gravit, and Just Julie Steins, the music that makes me dance. I thought you said that wasn't romantic and sexy. <laughs> that is wonderful. And Debbie Shapiro, Gravit, opens a couple nights from now at Steve McGraw's at 72nd and Broadway. Debbie, I can't wait to see you on action in a cabaret floor and break a leg. Thank you. Come on down, everybody. Uh, our next guest is a snoop a nosy Parker, and a Budinsky, and we love him for it. He's I have the, yet to do a good item on you, though. He's the theater reporter for the New York Daily News and a frequent visitor to the Broadway Hour. Ladies and gentlemen, the noted busybody, <laughs> Michael Riedel. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Michael, welcome back. Nice to back. see you. Nice good to, to see, see you. you. The last time we had you on the Broadway Hour, uh, you, you, were re sued. you reported that you had just been threatened by Robert Goulet, who uh, threatened to break said my legs. he might break your legs for your asking uh, sassy questions at his opening night party of Camelot. I haven't seen him since. I see you have survived that. That's right. Too. Well, I've stayed away from Las Vegas, so you know I think I'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, what's that? Anything cooking? Uh, yeah, actually. Uh, Sunset Boulevard is cooking the big Andrew Lloyd Webber show over in London, which is due to open in Los Angeles with Glenn Close in the lead right. in um, uh, December. And then uh, due to premiere on Broadway next year, October 1994. With I've, Patti LuPone? We, well, that's the big question. With Patti LuPone? A big question mark there. Patti LuPone is in London now, but she did not get very good reviews in the show. She got killer. She got reviews. killed, yeah. Frank Rich from The Times, Bill Henry from Time Magazine, they all went over to the London premiere, and they said she was too young for the part, miscast as Norma Desmond. Bill Henry in The Times, a rather uh, quiet reviewer, I think, said in his review that how could she play a fabled screen beauty when, quote, her nose looks like an aardvark. Yeah, he said said she was too vulgar, too. <laughs> but you have to remember, Spy Magazine said Bill Henry was walrus-shaped. So <laughs> what comes around goes around, I suppose. I understand um, uh, that the producers of Sunset Boulevard would like to buy Paddy Lapone out of her contract for New York. Now, where do you... you where's that based on, Michael? That is... Uh... I have sources close to the show, Stuart. They want her out? They want her out, yes. I mean, she has been essentially panned in this town without even appearing here. She is a liability. Bring her in, and you're going to get another bad review from the New York Times, from Time Magazine, from Newsweek. 
So, you know, you got to dump her. Uh, what are the producers saying for the record? I'm sorry? What are the producers well, saying? Well, for the record, they're denying it. Okay. They're, they've denied it through and through. But it's a story that won't die because there's some confirmation to it. Um, Lapone herself, uh, I heard the other day, might want out because she doesn't want to get hammered again. Hmm. And if Glenn Close is a big success in the role in Los Angeles, the pressure will really be on to bring Close into town. If the critics love her in L.A., they'll love her in New York. Why would you bring someone who all the critics have said they don't like into your show? All right, we'll have to follow that one closely. Uh, that would be a major, major upset if they decide to uh, knock Patty Lapone out before she even gets here. Well, this is a risky show. You know, it's costing $12 million to do this thing in Los Angeles. It's going to cost another $12 million to do it here in New York. Now, Andrew Lloyd Webber has had enormous string of successes, but let's not forget his last musical on Broadway, Aspects of Love, lost its entire $7 million investment. Okay. So. Okay, we'll be back with more dish from Michael Riedel after this break. For all the latest information on Broadway and off-Broadway shows, call the Broadway line 212-563-BWAY. This user-friendly interactive telephone service puts Broadway at your fingertips. It provides callers with touchtone phones with brief show descriptions, performance schedules, theater locations, and the ability to purchase tickets. The Broadway line is a local call in the New York area, so call it now, 212-563-BWAY. We're back on 93 AM WPAT. This is the Broadway Hour, and with, we're with the Daily News re theater reporter, Michael Riedel. Michael, what else is cooking? Uh, Stephen Sondheim's got a new musical in workshops this week. It's called, uh, no title yet, but it's based on an Italian film called Passione d'Amore, which in turn was based on a 19th century Italian novel called Fosca. Uh, it's a Beauty and the Beast kind of story, though in this case it's a beautiful young man who falls in love with a rather plain, not attractive young woman. And uh... It's being workshopped here at Lincoln Center with... Um, Donna Murphy in the cast, Ron Rifkin, and Peter Gallagher. Sondheim is doing it with James Lapine, and originally this was a one-act that was going to be done with something called Muscle, which, believe it or not, is based on some sort of body novel about bodybuilding. Okay. Sondheim and Lapine have been hanging out at the gym to do their research for this one. Is there, uh, how close is this to fruition? Uh, well, I, I ran into Sondheim the other day, and he told me that he's now decided that um, um, Passione d'Amore would make a full-length musical. So he's going to drop the mu idea for muscle and expand Passione d'Amore into something. He has no idea how long it's going to be. It's in workshop. It's still very sketchy. He's only written okay. a couple of songs. There's not even a complete uh, a script to it yet. But they want to get it up on its feet and see, see if it works. Okay, sounds like it has a ways to go. Yeah, I think so. Michael, uh, Perestroika, the second half of the acclaimed Angels in America, starts performances at the end of this week, I believe. After a postponement, because uh, it doesn't seem to to be that they're uh, ready to uh, bring people into the show. You know, Tony Kushner has been working on the second half of Angels in America for about three years now, I think, and he still can't seem to get it right. It was done in Los Angeles um, about a year ago, and uh, the, the critics really didn't go for the second half of it, so that's why they opened only the first part in New York, so Kushner could go back to rewrite it. Now, up until just two weeks ago, he was still rewriting. He'd huh. It was five acts, he put it down to three acts, and then he added two more acts, so... 
they're being very, very quiet about what's happening in rehearsals for the in show. In L.A., it was three and a half hours, I believe. Is it still that long? Uh, I, I guess it's running about three hours, about the length of the uh, of Millennium Approaches, the first part of, of uh, Angels in America. Michael, we're getting short on time. Anything else hot? Um, what else is hot? What else is hot? Uh, mixed emotions coming up with uh, at the uh, the Royale Theater, I believe. Uh huh. Advance word on that isn't so good. That's the play with. Um, is that Harold Gould? Harold Gould and what is her name? I forget. Uh, Whatever. Yes, from <laughs> soap. She was the woman with red hair and soap. Well, that narrows it down <laughs> to <laughs> who. Catherine, Catherine Hellman, Hellman, that's Catherine. it. Yeah. The Catherine word Hellman. is not so hot. Not so hot. But those okay. are two fine actors. All right, Michael, we'll wait and see. Again, thanks for being with us. I'm sorry we're so short. But we talked with Eli Wallach and Ann Jackson, and I can go on for months with them. Michael, it's now trivia time. And the winner of this week's trivia contest will receive two tickets to Guys and Dolls, in my humble opinion, the best musical on Broadway, and dinner for two at Streeter's Restaurant here at the Sheraton. I understand that complimentary ticket is worth at least 50 bucks. You can scarf down something for that. The trivia question is, in Fiddler on the Roof, according to Yenta the Matchmaker, why were the Shoemaker's daughter and Avram's son a perfect match? If you think you know the answer, send it to the Broadway Hour, 93 AM WPAT, 1396 Broad Street, Clifton, New Jersey, 07012. The winner will be announced on next week's program, and the prize again is two tickets to Guys and Dolls and dinner for two at Streeter's Restaurant here at the Sheraton. Not a bad night out on the town. Last week's question was, a young actress rehearsing a tear-jerking scene was advised by an older colleague, quote, if you cry, the audience won't. Who was the actress who received that advice and the actress who gave it? Well, we apparently stumped you on that one. No one knew. The young actress who received that advice was a very young Helen Hayes. And the older actress who gave her the advice was a full... You know that one, Michael? The actress who gave no her idea. the advice was the great comedian Fanny Bryce. Again, if uh, you want to uh, get into this contest, you got to get your postcard in right away. We'll announce the winner next week. Right now, here's a Broadway showstopper from My Fair Lady, the immortal Rex Harrison, and... I've grown accustomed to her face. She almost makes the day begin. I've grown accustomed to the tune. She whistles night and noon. Her smiles, her frowns, her ups. Her downs are second nature to me now Like breathing out and breathing in I was serenely independent and content before we met Surely I could always be that way again And yet I've grown accustomed to her looks Accustomed to her voice Accustomed to her face. Marry Freddy. What an infantile idea. What a heartless, wicked, brainless thing to do. But she'll regret it. She'll regret it. It's doomed before they even take the vow. 
I can see her now, Mrs. Freddie Ainsford Hill, in a wretched little flat above a store. I can see her now, not a penny in the till and a bill collector beating at the door. She'll try to teach the things I taught her and end up selling flowers instead, begging for her bread and water while her husband has his breakfast in bed. In a year or so, when she's prematurely grey and the blossom in her cheek has turned to chalk, she'll come home and know he'll have up and run away with a social climbing heiress from New York. Ah, poor Eliza. How simply frightful. How humiliating. How delightful. How poignant it'll be on that inevitable night when she hammers on my door in tears and rags, miserable and lonely, repentant and contrite. Will I take her in or hurl her to the wolves? Give her kindness or the treatment she deserves? Will I take her back or throw the baggage out? I'm a most forgiving man, the sort who never could, ever would, take a position and staunchly never but. Just a most forgiving. But I will never take her back. If she were crawling on her knees, let her promise to atone, let her shiver, let her moan, I will slam. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to the Broadway Hour. Thanks to our guests, and Jackson and Eli Wallach, Debbie Shapiro Gravit, and Michael Riedel of the Daily News. Special thanks to David Rothenberg and Miller Wright for getting our guests here. The Broadway Hour is here on 93 a.m. WPAT every Monday night from 6 to 7 p.m. I'd like to thank the sponsors of the Broadway Hour, Chemical Bank, the Sheraton New York Hotel and Towers, and Champagne Tatinger, the official champagne of the Broadway Hour. Thanks to our executive producer, Kate McGrath, and our engineer, Chris Breitfeld. And special thanks to all the folks at 9.30 a.m. WPAT. Tune in next week when our guests will include Michael Learned and jazz pianist Marion McPartland. This is Stuart Klein for the Broadway Hour. Good night and break a leg.